our Father invites us to come before him and bring him our needs. So if you would, join me in prayer now at this time. Let's pray together. Almighty Father, we come to you accepted and loved, not because we have done enough, but because we are found in Christ today. We thank you that as this passage reminds us, you are our Father. So Father, we pray on behalf of our church today. We, we pray for our sister, Ruby Gowie, who has lost her husband this last week. Father, even as Ruby is homebound, we pray that you would be near to her and comfort her in her grief. We pray that our church body would love Ruby and pray for her and care for her as she enters into widowhood. Father, as many of us this week celebrate Thanksgiving with family and friends, we're reminded that you are the one who we are ultimately to be thankful to. Father, we pray that as we have conversations and discussions around the Thanksgiving table, that we would be filled with graciousness and love and truth that matches what we say we believe about you. Lord, for those who will be spending time with family who don't believe the gospel, we ask for that you would specifically help us to point others to Christ. Father, give us winsomeness. Give us boldness for the gospel, we pray. Father, for those who are here and who are in our body who have lost family members this year, or who are estranged and separated from their family members. Father, we pray that this week you would be near to them, that you would comfort their hearts. Father, as we look to your word, uh, we also pray for our church, and we pray for those who are lacking what they might need financially. Father, we pray that we would give and that we would share generously as a church, that our benevolence fund would be active and a regular testimony to how we provide for one another's needs as we trust you. Father, we pray that those who are facing financial difficulty, that they would show a depth of faith by the way they turn to you as the provider for all provision. Father, would you remind us that our true treasure is not in what we own in this world, but is found chiefly in Christ and in obedience to him that we might be rich in good works. Father, we also pray for those outside of our midst. We, we think of other countries that are not as well off as ourselves. Father, we think today of Yemen. We pray for the civil war that's going on there in Yemen right now. We pray that it would cease. We pray for peace in that land. Father, we pray for provision of food and clothing and housing and jobs for those who are desperate in Yemen today. We pray especially for believers in Yemen as we remember that we are closely related to them in Christ. You encourage our brothers and sisters in that foreign land. We pray, O oh God. Father, now as we turn our attention to your word, Father, we need your help. 
I, I feel a sense of neediness before you, O oh God. We pray, O oh Father, that you would reveal yourself, not because of my cleverness or my ability to preach, but rather because your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, we pray that you would keep those in this room that you desire to feed and grow, that you would keep us awake and alert to want to hear what your word says and to apply it to our hearts. Holy, we pray that the Holy Spirit would illumine your word to us so that we can obey. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. When are you tempted to worry? Particularly think about financial worry. What does it look like for your life to slip into the spiral of wondering about your future? Picture this with me. Let's just say it's, it's Monday morning, 10 minutes to 8, and you're sitting in traffic on Boynton Beach Boulevard. Apparently there's been an accident because traffic just isn't moving and you're sitting stuck. Now, your cell phone happens to have just 2% left on it, which is a, a trial in its own right. Uh, but you receive a call and you hear long enough to realize that there's bad financial news before your cell phone battery just dies. Now, you can fill in the blank what the news was for yourself. Let me give you some possible examples. Maybe your spouse called and they found a bill that was, had come in the mail that was just astronomically higher than what you expected. 10 years ago, you hadn't paid your taxes, there was a mistake, compounded interest now has just arrived on your doorstep. Or perhaps a, a hospital bill has come in that you weren't aware of, wasn't covered by insurance, and you have nowhere near enough money to pay this bill in your bank account. What happens in your heart when you're sitting in that traffic jam. Or, or maybe it's your boss who calls. You're on your way to an important meeting. There's already been downsizing. You've recently had miscommunications with your boss. Uh, but before you could explain your situation, your phone cuts out. Where does your heart go? Or, or maybe the phone call was uh, your security system at home. It notified you that there's smoke in your house. Could have been a glitch. But before you get to check, your phone dies. For all you know, your house is up in flames right now. Or, or maybe it was simply your financial planner. You know why they were checking in on you. You haven't been putting enough money away as you should for retirement. And honestly, you don't see any change for that in the future anytime soon. Right, now, in any of these scenarios, or perhaps you can think of one that's just more appropriate to you, What's going on in your heart as you sit there, stuck behind the wheel of your car, inching your way forward, stuck in the traffic jam? What's the narrative that gets played on the airways of your mind as to how you'll handle the future? Finances can just so easily provoke worry in us, can they not? Perhaps uh, even before you've gotten out of the car, you found yourself envisioning exactly how you'll be fired, what it looks like to go bankrupt, what you'll have to tell all your friends, and how destitute you'll be in the future. 
Some of us are prone to this more than others. But all of us have this, this seed of worry that just can so easily spring up in our hearts. Isn't this spiral uh, of anxiety so natural to us? Well, today's scripture speaks to this tendency of the human condition to worry and to anxiety. Today's passage in the book of Luke explores this theme of anxiety, especially about finances. If you brought your Bibles, and I hope you have, open them to Luke chapter 12. We'll be studying verses 22 through 34, where Jesus teaches us not to be anxious by considering our Father's provision. You'll remember last week, Jesus had taught on the topic of greed and possessions. You'll remember, I said, money makes empty promises. Well, here, Jesus continues to shape our thinking about money, but, but this time by showing us the foolishness of anxiety with possessions. So if last week was about the abundance of wealth and the risk that that brings, this week it's about the absence of wealth and the risk that that brings. Friends, where do you find your security? This, this passage reads like a, a circling argument as you just listen to Bob just kind of read through all these different arguments. And it's almost like it's reversing that spiral of anxiety that's going on in our hearts. What do we learn about anxiety and possessions today? Jesus shows us three things I'm going to focus on. Number one, why we worry about wealth why not to worry about wealth, and how not to worry about wealth. As we unpack this passage, I pray that God will free us from anxiety over the things of this world. So first, why do we worry about wealth? Look at verse 22. We read, And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Now, Jesus begins this teaching to his disciples to teach them about anxiety possessions. Now, before he was addressing this man with this inheritance, who was probably rich, who's potentially struggling with greed. Well, this week, he's addressing his followers, who have uh, presumably left everything to follow him. This is the group that he had told would need to take up their cross and follow him. To them, Jesus says, tells them to not be anxious about the things of this world. Uh, this is the theme of the passage. You see it there in verse 22. Do not be anxious about your life. Or verse 25, we'll get to this in a minute. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single, single hour? Or down in verse 29, do not be worried or down in verse 32, fear not, do not fear. Friends, this message is a command. Followers of Christ are not to be characterized by worry. Now this word anxious here, as others have pointed out, is actually two words put together, one of which is usually translated as care, and the other is often translated as distract or to draw in a different direction. And so the idea is to have a, a distracting care about your life, to have our minds and hearts burdened with things that they shouldn't be distracted about. And this is 
that moment that you're, you're sitting stuck in that traffic jam and your mind just spins off about the worries of your life. You're burdened with a distracting care. Uh, the, this word worried down in verse 29 is actually an idiom. It's an expression in the original which gives this idea of a, of a mental race between insecurity and instability. So we could say in English something like, it's like getting worked up over something. Well, why do we get worked up? I imagine for most of you, when you subtly begin to lose your calm about something in your life or begin to have anxious thoughts, you probably think that the issue at hand is incredibly important. It's significant. But notice what Jesus says here in verse 23. Life is more than food and the body than clothing. Life is more than having what we need. Jesus points out that, that being consumed with this distracting care is actually making too little of life. Do you see that logic? He's saying you worry about what you have or don't have not because the issue is too big, because your view is too small. Life is more than this. By the way, this is the same basic lesson that you'll remember we learned last week. If, if you remember last week with greed, Jesus said, our lives do not consist of the abundance of our possessions. Do you remember that point? Well, here, it's a similar point. He's, he's pointing out that being consumed over what you have or don't have is foolish because it's making too little of life. You should know, if, if you're visiting here today, maybe, maybe you're just listening to me here, here, and I'm just jumping into this talk about anxiety because Jesus is talking about it. You should know that we as Christians believe that your life, that our lives, all of our lives, are so much more than what we see around us. We believe that all of us were created to know God that there's meaning behind everything you see, that there's a God that has made us, that even though we do not see him with our eyes, we are still accountable to him. Uh, the bad news is, as you heard Brady just share so well, that we have all sinned against this God. We've offended him. And that even though we can't see that sin, we can see the effects of it. We can't see the sin itself. It just catastrophically ruins our relationship with God. So that we need a Savior. Jesus Christ was uh, indeed sent from God as the Son of God. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross in our place, and he rose from the grave. Now, anyone who would believe this, this work of Christ, if we would believe this by faith, even though we can't see it, then we would be saved and made right with God. Life is so, so much more than the things that you see in front of you. We must believe what God's word says. Christians, for you as well, I wonder in what ways does your anxiety elevate the wrong issues in your life? When you're caught up into that, that spiral of concern that just starts spinning out of control, how are you thinking more uh, about the things in front of you and making little of your life. Jesus says life is more than this. 
Notice the second reason we worry, down in verses 25 and 26. Jesus says this, he says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Now, follow Jesus' logic here. He's saying anxiety is foolish because it doesn't accomplish anything. All the worry in the world can't actually extend your life by, by a mere hour. You just don't even have that much control over your own life. You, you can do nothing through anxiety itself. Notice the implication of what Jesus is saying. We worry because we want control. Is this not true? Our anxiety problem is really a sovereignty problem. But anxiety does nothing. It's ineffective. Uh, Paul Tripp is, is helpful here. There's a place where he writes about uh, circles of concern and circles of responsibility. And he says, you can picture a smaller circle, which is your circle of responsibility, the things that God has entrusted to you. And he said, there's a larger circle, which is often our circle of concern, the things that we put into that circle that we're consumed about. He says the problem is that our circle of concern, all the things that we worry ourselves about are much more than the circle of responsibility that God has given to us. We get in trouble because we're, we begin in a small way to act like we're sovereign, like we could change things. Jesus is saying in verse 25, you're not sovereign. Worry doesn't change that. Notice the third reason why we're prone to anxiety. G here, Jesus digs down deep to the core of what's happening in our hearts when you're worked up at so about something. Look down at verse 28. Jesus gives this throwaway line. We're going to come back to this verse in a minute. But just look at what he says. He, he speaks to his worrying disciples, and he says, Oh, you of little faith. Verse 28. Friends, anxiety is ultimately faithlessness. Little faith here, it's not picturing non-existent faith, but faith that is, is dim, faith that is fading. It's as David Powelson writes about, it's like a, a flashlight with drained batteries. You can picture it. It's, it's, it's still making some light in there, uh, but the light is flickering and it's uncertain. Why is that? Why is your anxiety a form of weak faith. How can we say that, that we have anxiety because we're lacking faith? We don't have enough faith. What's the connection here? To answer that, let me move on to my second point, number two. Why not to worry? Why not to worry? Friends, we should not be anxious because God is faithful. God is faithful. The connection between anxiety and faithlessness is failing to consider God's faithfulness. That's what's happening. When your flashlight starts going dim, when your faith is weak and your life fills up with anxiety, you're forgetting just how faithful God is. 
Look at how Jesus says this. Jesus reminds us of simple things as parables. He talks about birds and flowers. Uh, just think of the ravens, verse 24. He says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Oh, how much more value are you than the birds? Now, earlier in this chapter, you, you remember Jesus had talked about the sparrows, the, the most inexpensive living thing. Perhaps you'll remember that from several weeks ago. We talked about Bill the Sparrow. Do you remember that? Well, here he brings up not the most inexpensive of birds, but the despised, the unclean crows, the, the ravens. In the Old Testament, these would have been unclean birds. The, the, the ravens are the, the bullies who eat as scavengers. But even these, even these, God provides for. The point isn't that the birds don't work. No, the, the ravens are quite busy. The point is that God provides for them without them worrying. The, the barns that the rich man had in, in the, the last week's chapter, well, these birds have neither barn like that nor storehouse. God is the one who feeds them. And now you know you're more valuable than a bird, don't you? So if he feeds them, can you not trust God to provide for you? Or look down in verse 27. He says, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... How much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? So here Jesus is saying, just, just look at the flowers. Flowers aren't toiling. There, there's no seamstress to spin their outfits. But God gives them such beautiful clothing. Uh, now, we're in South Florida. Perhaps some of you, next time you're walking by a garden, just need to pause and stop and look at a flower for an extra 10 seconds. Don't do it if it's in your neighbor's yard and it gets awkward if you go where you shouldn't be. But, but you should look at a flower. See its beauty. See, see what God has created it to be and how he's wrapped it with such care. This reference here in verse 27, back to King Solomon, is, is interesting. Solomon was the richest king in Israel. He had guests travel thousands of miles to see his lavish wealth. If anyone had glorious possessions, food and clothing, wealth to admire, well, it was Solomon. Jesus is saying the glory that he gave to Solomon, when Solomon asked for wisdom and, and God gave him riches, the, the glory that this great king had was outshined by the creative brilliance of even just a small passing flower. So if God could give that kind of care and provision to flower after flower after flower that will only last for a short time before being gathered up and burned with the hay, well, won't he clothe you as well? 
Jesus says, your anxiety is a matter of little faith. You're not thinking rightly about God. Consider, God is a provider. You see, uh, anxiety is, is similar to a case of spiritual amnesia, isn't it? Amnesia is where your brain starts to have memory loss. You remember parts of reality, but not all of reality. You begin to forget things that you know to be true. This is what anxiety does with us. Anxiety forgets the all-encompassing, all-powerful faithfulness of God, even though it's displayed in the whole world around us, anywhere we go. Anxiety makes us forget that. So, Jesus calls us to consider. I wonder if you saw that in the passage. Twice in the passage, uh, verse 24 and then down in verse 27. Uh, Jesus tells us to consider, uh, to think about it. He calls us to deeper thinking. Now, I know for me, when I start to worry about things, things are going poorly, perhaps I'm sitting in that car, and a flood of thoughts starts coming into my mind about whatever's going on in my day. Uh, I often try to fix my anxiety by just working real hard to think less about my problem, right? I shouldn't be anxious right now. Don't think about this, right? But Jesus says, what Jesus doesn't say is stop thinking about it. Try to think less about that. Oh, no. No, he says, consider. Think more, not less. Think it out. Use your concern as a reason to think on how God will provide. Consider, use your concern to drive you to think more about God as this provider, as this creator who cares over his creation. Or look down in verse 30. We read there, all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So the, the need for provision is a universal need. All the nations of the world. Doesn't God know about your needs? Your Father knows. Friends, have you forgotten the omniscience of God? God knows about your needs. Uh, what needs do you have right now? Perhaps just sitting where you are, just take a second and think, all right, if I was going to be anxious about something, this is what it would be. This is where I would go if I let myself go. What needs do you have in your life? Where are your financial concerns? Where are you lacking? If you're going to stay up tonight, thinking late into the night about things you shouldn't be, what is it going to be about? Now, friends, apply the omniscience of your heavenly Father to those needs. He knows. He's not ignorant. He's not caught off guard by whatever you're facing. He's not forgetful. He's aware. You aren't carrying your burdens on your own. It's not up to you to just dig in your, heel, your heels harder and, and straighten up and carry that burden. He knows. 
Jesus says, your father knows. I think this is what he's getting at there at the verse, the beginning of verse 32, when he tells them, fear not, little flock. Did you see that? Why would he get, grab this language of a flock? He hasn't been talking about shepherding. Notice what Jesus is doing. He's, he's telling his disciples that we are like little lambs. We're like needy sheep, unable to provide for ourselves. And so Jesus calls us a little flock. The picture is of a shepherd that has a small herd of sheep and he can just so easily watch over every single one of them. He knows each one of them by name. He knows what they're needing. He knows what, how they're doing, what's going on in that little lamb's life. He's able to look out and say, I see your need. You're my little flock. He sees you. Friends, in light of this, let's move on to our third point why we worry, why not to worry. Thirdly, how not to worry. Follow the argument. Jesus isn't telling us just to stop worrying. No, he's giving us reasons for God's faithfulness so that we do not worry. But now he goes a step further. He gives us a, a push to obey down the path of obedience. This is how. He tells us to busy ourselves in this. Look what he says in verse 29. He says, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So we're not to be like the nations around us, verse 30. They seek after the things of this world. We're not to seek after the things of this world. Our primary motivating concern is to seek the reign of Jesus Christ. Verse 31, we're to seek after the kingdom. But even as we do, this seeking is a pursuit of what's already been promised. Verse 32, it's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. We seek after the kingdom, and we realize he is pleased to give us the kingdom. So just imagine you're uh, perhaps sons and daughters of a king somewhere, and we're, you're growing up in, under the fatherhood of this good king, and you're waiting to be crowned. You know, one day, his crown will be yours. And your, your, your father comes in and he says, give your concerns to my kingdom, my reign, Concern yourself there, and one day, I'll give it to you. Well, how do we do that? How do we seek his kingdom in this passage? How do we have this, this concern, not for earthly worry, but for him? Jesus says this in verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will, be, there will your heart be also. You want to know how, not to let go, how to let go of unhealthy worry? Jesus says, give. Give generously. 
give like you're investing in a kingdom that you will one day inherit. Generosity, it, generosity retrains our concerns, doesn't it? Look at that last verse. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus is saying, if you want to guide your heart away from anxiety towards having a healthy heart, put your treasure in the right place. You know, following the pandemic, uh, we received a stipend from the U.S. government, and I thought I'd save it for a future down payment on a house. So I downloaded a Charles Schwab account, and I put my stipend into an index fund, uh, which I could watch it perform every day easily on my phone. Now, guess what became one of the most opened apps on my phone? That's right, Charles Schwab. I realized that I all of a sudden wanted to see how the market did every day. Move up just a little bit find myself a little bit more happy. Move down just a little bit, I'd find myself a little bit more sad. Where I put my treasure, my heart followed. Friends, do you want to kill anxiety in your hearts? Put your treasure in eternal, lasting generosity. Put your treasure in the only mutual fund that is guaranteed to increase indefinitely. Spend your resources on giving generously to others. Give to others in need. Give to the growth of the kingdom of God. Now, this would have been an agrarian culture that Jesus is speaking to. They wouldn't have had banks or, or index funds. Wealth was in real estate and in possessions. And so to give, they would actually have to sell their possessions in order to have liquid wealth to give. Jesus says, don't hold back. Have a liquidity in your life that can be generous to others. Now, last week's emphasis of, of being rich toward God is it's even more pronounced here, isn't it? Jesus speaks of this treasure in heaven this money that doesn't grow old. He's talking about the ideal investment. You know, I was just processing last week's sermon with a couple brothers. I think Matt and I were talking about it earlier this week. And just thinking how much for me and in my heart, this is really a faith issue. I, I understand why Jesus said you have little faith. Because too often I don't really believe that true treasure is what is in the life to come. If I did, I think I'd be spending more of my money differently. Uh, when I had that, that mutual fund on my phone I was telling you about, and when I started to see what index funds do, they go up, I just started moving more and more money to Charles Schwab. I mean, tens of dollars. <laughs> just putting it in there. I, I said, okay, if that, I get a better interest rate here than this puny little savings account down here. Let's move it over there. Oh, dear friends. Jesus is saying, do, do you want to be rich? You are going to inherit a kingdom. Seek the kingdom. Invest in the kingdom. Be rich toward God. 
This is the argument he's making. Move your resources there. We should conclude. You know, uh, Jesus taught this to his disciples here. He's teaching them specifically. These men who, who, who he spoke to, they listened. They didn't believe that this was just some nice encouragement, like I often do. Oh, that's, that's nice. But they actually listened to what he was saying. We can read in Acts, which is actually the, the second half of Luke's writing, uh, and we read how they literally were selling their real estate to give their money away. This is what the church was doing. Uh, these same men, Luke uses the same words of these speaking about possessions in Acts 2.45, they were selling their possessions. They were selling their belongings. I mean, just picture that. We often just read over that. Like, going back home, looking at the things in their house, and saying, I can sell that. I could, I could give that away. So taking their belongings, and they were selling it, and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. They were bringing it into the church, and the church was growing and, and working, because they just had this view of this heavenly generosity that was just taking over their lives. Apparently, they thought Jesus meant this. They believed Jesus when he taught this. And, and, and then they taught others. They, they started teaching it across the early church. We get to 2 Corinthians 2, and, and we listen to, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians 8, I believe, and we listen to what Paul reports. This is what he says. Listen to what Paul says about the early church. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, that's the context, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. These people believe what Jesus taught. Extreme poverty, severe test of affliction, didn't shake their earnestness for generosity. They gave as if their giving was producing eternal reward. Oh, dear family, what will our legacy be? Will we be a church that is, that is gripped by the amnesia of financial anxiety? Or will we look to the faithfulness of God, see that faithfulness, and let it be lived out in our lives with this type of open generosity? Will we see how he, he provides for his creation. And so will we seek his kingdom, not only with our words, but with our very generosity. Let this be true of us. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we do want to grow in faith. We can say, oh God, we believe. Help our unbelief. May we grow in a rich generosity toward your kingdom. 
Father, may we do this not from empty hearts, but from full hearts, taking joy in worshiping you as the faithful provider that you are. Guide each one of us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.